Praise the Lord. Lord, I ask that You would give me unction to speak. Amen. Let me know when you're ready, Jim. In the preparation for these messages, I have searched God's Word to bring answers. And I've sought to answer the questions that come from the text. When God's Word tells us to put on the whole armor of God, I've heard preachers that have taught well-meaning messages by saying, put on this part and put on that part and so on and so forth. We're learning to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And that's what's written in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. We've also learned to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what's written in Ephesians 6 and verse 11. We've learned about the spiritual forces of the enemy and the fact that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Even though the enemies appear very often in flesh and blood, the Word tells us we're not fighting those people. We're fighting the spiritual forces of the enemy. We've learned to yield to the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That's what's written in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. We've learned to wrap ourselves in truth and righteousness, to be people of integrity, to have that moral integrity so that as we go down the street, wherever that street is, whatever we are doing in the world, those who are around us or who encounter us would see the light of Christ shining from our lives. We've learned to have our feet in gospel shoes prepared to share the good news of what's different about us and and what's different about our lives and how others can make themselves available to receive what it is that we have. We've learned how to walk by faith that shields us from the fiery temptations thrown at us like darts by the enemy of souls. And in the last two weeks, we've looked at our Lord's triumphal entry and His resurrection from the grave. And we've done that intentionally, not just out of history or out of a habit, out of tradition. By His work, we've seen through His willing sacrifice and His resurrection from the grave, we've seen that we have salvation available to us by His work. And so today we're going to learn about our salvation helmet. It's written in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to look at the first half of that, and next week we're going to look at the second half. The salvation helmet is a picture of Christ protecting our mind. That word picture is used to help us envision the protection that we have available. 
We can receive it through current and future hope in the salvation that He alone offers. We have salvation currently from sin, and we have salvation available to us in the future in the eternal kingdom of God. And that salvation helmet is something that we need to hold in our minds because it protects our minds. It's written in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept under the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's an important statement, because there is a salvation beyond what we have here and now. There's a salvation that is eternal. And I want us to read now from the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to look in the Bible or read along, you can turn to page 1815, and those Bibles there in your seats. We'll also put it up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. Is where it is written, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. And the word there means children. We're children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other, and edify one another, just as you also are doing. I pray that God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word, and I trust that He will. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. And He tells us, as a helmet, we're to put on the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. It's that hope that we live for. It's what guides us. Now, we celebrated our Lord's resurrection last week, and we remembered His crucifixion the Friday before that. And these two events made Christ our armor. Without His sacrifice, without His resurrection, we would have no hope of salvation. This is why it's so important to look at these things. Not because the church has made some ritual out of it, but because it matters to us. We have salvation by His sacrifice. We have salvation by His resurrection. 
The armor of God is a word picture of Christ. And He, by the Holy Spirit, empowers believers to survive spiritual battle. We're protected by the armor if we remain in the armor. You see, because Christ is that Ark of the Covenant. Christ is the armor of God. And that salvation helmet illustrates our hope in Christ's salvation. And this hope protects our minds from the onslaught of evil. We're always attacked every day. We're bombarded with evil. Whether we like to think about it or not, it's true. And the strength of Christ enables us to be sheltered from giving in to sinful fleshly desires. Our flesh desires to sin. But not only that, we're tempted to doubt. We are tempted to doubt, and doubt itself is sin. If we don't trust that Almighty God has this, whatever this is, and we're doubting, We're also tempted to sin. Not only does our flesh tempt us to sin, but so too does the enemy of souls and all who work for him. In Christ, we have protection. It's like soldiers submit to body armor. They yield to that armor to protect them. Outside of it, they're in danger. And the same is true with us. That's why we must remain in Christ as our armor. Because outside of Christ, we're in grave danger, folks. Consider what's written in the sixth chapter of Hebrews, beginning at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, these are Spirit-filled people, and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. If we become apostate, he says it's impossible because we're re-crucifying Christ. This is what the writer to the Hebrews said. It's impossible. This is defection. It's going AWOL, if you will. Abandonment of faith in Christ. And our salvation helmet protects us. It protects believers from putting the Son of God to an open shame. But not those who are outside of Christ. Those who are outside of Christ are not protected from putting Christ to an open shame. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it's written, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me, now this is God speaking, those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And then Jeremiah follows that up with, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved for you are my praise. Can we say that together? Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, 
for you are my praise. The helmet of salvation is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, the passage we just read, as the hope of salvation. And that reveals another part of the meaning of salvation. The phrase hope of salvation comes from two different Greek words. Hope comes from el- elpis, excuse me, and Nathayer's Greek lexicon defines it as expectation of evil and fear. Expectation of good and hope. You see, there's this balance. It's not just the expectation of good, but it's the fear of God. There's a certain reverence of God that brings you into that place where you recognize that God could flick you off this planet in your sin. And you don't want that. You avoid willfully, deliberately turning against Him. You recognize it. And as the definition goes on, it says, in the Christian sense, it's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And the third thing that's written there is on hope, in hope, having hope, the author of hope, or he who is its foundation, and that's Christ. Christ is our hope. He is our hope of messianic salvation, and He is the thing hoped for. And when we look at that word salvation, it comes from the Greek word soteria, and the definition there is deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation, deliverance from the molestation of enemies, and in an ethical sense, that which concludes to the soul's safety or salvation. And it speaks of messianic salvation. The Messiah came. He lived. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried and he rose again. Salvation as the present possession of all true Christians. See the qualifying word there? True Christians. Future salvation. The sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians are redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. Christ will be seen when He returns. I'm not going to go into the Scriptures that describe that, but there are several that talk about Him being seen. He's not sneaking in to get people. He will be seen according to God's Word. Now, salvation is divided into current and future aspects, two different facets of salvation. Currently, true believers possess salvation from sin. We have been saved from it. We were imprisoned in sin. And Christ came and opened the gate and says, come on out. You're no longer captured by sin. You are no longer captured by the enemy. I'm setting you free. That's the current salvation that we enjoy. It's our hope of salvation, and it's revealed by Christ. It's written in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 that the angel told Joseph, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yahashua, for He will save His people from their sins. He will save 
His people from their sins. That's our current salvation. Believers who are in the ark of God's covenant, in other words, in Christ, will enjoy the future aspect of salvation in that complete and eternal kingdom of God after the visible return of Christ from heaven. It's written in Lamentations chapter 3, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him and to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We hope and we wait patiently. We know. We're not trying to expedite the process, in other words. We're allowing Him to have His will done in our lives. Waiting and hoping is described in other Scripture texts also. We'll look at a couple of them. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 tells us, We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And what is that perseverance if not faith? Because we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. We persevere even when things don't go the way we'd like them to go. Whether in our personal lives, in our extended family's lives, in our church life, in the world, in politics, dare I say. And in Hebrews chapter 6, it's written, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Think about that anchor. What does the anchor do? It holds the ship steady. Even in a storm, the anchor will hold the ship steady. Both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner, that's Christ, has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We walk by faith. Faith. Faith in the work that He did. Faith that God Himself has His hand on our lives. Faith that God is actually in control. Our hope requires faith in Christ. Our hope of salvation is revealed to the world. And how? In our love of God and our love of each other. And that's only by faith in Christ, our Redeemer. We can't love beyond our natural ability to love without Christ. We see that there are many people in the world who have no love or very little because they don't have Christ. And our love is observable. It's seen by others. It glorifies Almighty God. When we walk by faith, not by sight, we can even love those who hate us. Difficult as that is. In Romans chapter 13, it's written, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Do you hear that theme that's running through Scripture? We are not to be asleep. 
For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And there are those who think that they have something they do not have. Yes, they have been saved from sin. But they do not possess the salvation that they believe they possess. It's nearer than when we first believed. That's what the Scripture says. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Christ is light. Let us put on Christ. Let us submit to Christ. Let us yield to Christ. Let us be found in Christ, the ark of the covenant. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there was any doubt in your mind that that's what he's speaking about, he just brings it straight out. He says, put on Christ. Then make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And here, Paul is not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. He's saying, put on Christ, put off those fleshly desires. We're instructed to put on the armor of light, which is Christ. He is the power of the hope of our eternal salvation. It's written in Colossians 1 and verse 5 that our hope is laid up for us in heaven. We give thanks to the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. It's laid up in heaven. We're in the ark of the covenant. Our hope requires faith in Christ. And that salvation is waiting for us. It's written in 1 Timothy chapter 2. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many men? Do you think that just means men and women are excluded? It means women too. God our Savior desires that all would come to Him. And Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Acts chapter 2, it's written, and it shall come to pass that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's quoting Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. It shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem sure shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. That's the testimony of two witnesses. Old Testament, New Testament. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I had somebody tell me, and I had actually had several people tell me, that that's not what it means. They have told me... Just saying. I said, well, how do you describe it then? <clears throat> One person says, it's like there's a sign on heaven that said, the elect, and on the other side it says, whosoever. 
made absolutely no sense to me. Because His Word says, if you this day desire what He offers, you, anybody, can receive it. That's what His Word says. And I say I'm going with His Word. In Ephesians, excuse me, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it's written, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. How many of you don't like receiving gifts? Throw your hand up. I don't see any hands. Everybody likes to get a gift, right? God offers a gift. It's called salvation. It's for everyone. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it's written, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But the sad reality is not everyone will accept that gift. I don't want it. Get that away from me. That's not for me. God's Word says it is. So I've got to at least offer it to you. I'm just like the UPS guy. I bring the package, okay, and I give it to you. Here it is. I bring the whole package and say, this is yours. And some people say, I'm good, I don't want it. My job isn't to hit them over the head and say, you must take the gift. No. My job is to say, here's a gift from God. Some people will swat it right out of your hand. And I say, glory be to God, I've delivered the gift. Sad. But remember, it's written that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. That's found in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The goodness of God leads people to accept His gift. So, to refuse the gift is to refuse God. Because God's goodness is what leads us to repentance. The words of Christ written in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, tell us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He says, You're welcome to come in. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Are you going to accept Him? It's written in John chapter 14 and verse 21. It's written that He also said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves me. And He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. I'll make myself known to whomever it is that loves me. You know, Jesus began His earthly ministry by preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first word of the gospel is, Repent. It's the first word. In Matthew chapter 11, it's written that He rebuked the cities in which most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He had done mighty works. He had shown, He had revealed that He was, in fact, the Messiah that they were waiting for. And they rejected Him. No thanks. We don't want what you have to offer. 
In Mark chapter 6 and verse 12, we learn that He sent His disciples to preach that people should repent everywhere. Jesus repeatedly preached and taught repentance for salvation. And yet today we have people that say there's not, it's not necessary to repent. They claim there's no repentance required. All you have to do is say a little prayer. Bow your head, raise your hand. I've mentioned many times before in my ministry that I remember one time sitting in the back of a congregation and the pastor said, okay, with all eyes closed and every head bowed, those of you who want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. I'm looking around, okay? I want to see how many people raise their hands. I was running from God at the time. I didn't see a single hand. Oh, yes, brother. His, the preacher's head's done. Yes, brother, I see your hand. Yes, sister. <laughs> Come on. Talk about a charade. How about we really have people bow their hearts before the Lord of glory? He sent his disciples to preach repentance, and he sent everybody to teach and preach what he taught. What he preached, what he commanded. He said, teach them what I've commanded. We have no hope of salvation unless we stop willfully sinning. And I'm not accusing anybody here. Please understand, I'm preaching what the Lord gave me. Our salvation begins with and is observed in repentance. We turn from sin. We don't run headlong into it. We come out of it. Does that mean that we don't stumble? I'm here to tell you, folks, and I'm the preacher standing here, and I've got to repent to God for the things that I have done. And I'm not talking massive things. I'm not killing anybody. There's no major sin in my life. But the, the thing is, my thoughts... My flesh, there are desires that come over me, and I say, wait a minute, I've got to repent, I've got to turn it. No, God, I don't want that. Cut that out of me. Unless we willfully stop sinning, we have no hope of salvation. Repentance is at the heart of the gospel of Christ, crucified for the redemption of mankind. We can't live a sinful life, a deliberately sinful life, and have the hope of salvation. It's not there. It's not in Scripture. There's no scriptural basis for that, and yet there are preachers that will tell you, just go on sinning. I've heard them myself. That's how I know. And then tell God you're sorry when you're not. So you lie to God, right? Seriously? They have no fear of God? Willful sinning is evidence of being outside of the whole armor of God without the helmet of salvation. We don't have salvation if we're living outside of the armor of God. We're living outside of Christ. Our hope of salvation in Christ protects our minds from giving in to sin and living intentionally disobedient lives. And again, I'm not talking about the stumbles that we make. I'm talking about deliberately, willfully choosing to live contrary to the Word of God. And there are many in religious circles, especially in the higher circles, that do exactly that. And they've chased a lot of good godly people out of these buildings that we call churches because of their sin and the hypocrisy 
Living in Christ is seen in the way that we live, trusting and obeying the will of Almighty God who provides salvation. We have hope in God. We have hope in God, not in me, not in anyone. We have hope in God that there will be, according to Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And there are many who are unjust who think this is it. When I die, I'm done. It's over. I'm going to live it up now. We're in the flesh. It's corrupted. Let's just do it all, whatever it all is. But the Scripture tells us they too will be raised at the resurrection of the dead. We're instructed in Psalm 31, 23 to love the Lord, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. I pray that there's no pride in us. We don't think we're better than somebody else. We're told in Psalm 31 and verse 24 to be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who have, who have hope in the Lord. And the word hope there means wait, hope, and expect, according to the Brown Driver Briggs Dictionary of Hebrew Words. God's Word reaches into our hearts and our heads to protect both. We'll cover that more next week. God has promised to guide and protect those who follow Christ. And where do we follow Him? Do we follow Him into the wilderness of sin, or do we follow Him out of the wilderness of sin? It's the picture of, of Egypt all over again. Moses led God's people out of that wilderness. They had to wander around in it for 40 years because of their sin. I don't want us to be there. I don't want to see us wandering around when we could be getting straight to where God is leading us. That abundant life that He promises all of us. He protects us. The Word of Almighty God gives us an unfailing expectation in the ability of God to fulfill His promises. His Word makes it clear that He promises certain things, including blessings, and He is able to deliver on His promises. Not only is He able, but He will. He says, here's what I want, here's what you get. It's that simple. It's a transaction, if you will. He says, I paid the price, you come out of that and into this, and you're blessed by it. And not only in this life, but eternally. And that is the greater of the entire picture. It's the greater part. We're enabled by the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. The Word of Almighty God helps us to learn what it is that He wants. The hope of salvation is intertwined with faith. They grow or fail together. For without faith we have no hope of salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. I want you to remember the text verse. I'm going to wrap it up soon, but I want you to remember our text verse. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Our confident expectation is to be of the day when Christ will come visibly, and we will be gathered together with Him. 
He will fulfill all the promises that are made in the Gospel. This is our hope. It's not a hope like, well, I really hope the sun keeps shining today. This is an everlasting hope. We place our faith in the hope which is Christ. On that day, the work which He began in us when He raised us from spiritual death will be completed and we will secure eternal, everlasting, if you will, life. The armor of God illustrates Christ, who by the power of the Holy Spirit enables believers to survive the spiritual battles that we endure. We are protected in Christ like Noah and his passengers were in the ark. That's what the Scripture reveals. Christ is our ark, the ark of the new covenant. We're protected in Christ. The helmet of salvation is the hope of salvation. And that hope begins with our rescue from sin. And it grows as we confidently anticipate the final rescue and eternal safety in the kingdom of God. God our Savior wants us to be saved and know the truth. That's what's written in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. We've looked at these things. I want you to follow Christ out of that wilderness. Follow Christ out of sin, out of depravity, and be strengthened by the hope of salvation. Allow Christ to lead you to obey Him above all others. All others. And the work that He began in us when He saved us from sin and raised us from spiritual death will be completed when He returns. And that hope of our salvation, that hope is our salvation helmet. It protects our mind from the onslaught of the world, from the onslaught of the enemy. That is where we place our hope is in Christ. That is what protects us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have brought Your Word. God, I, help, I, I pray that You will help each of us. Let Your Word become a part of us, Father, even to the cellular level, that every bit of us would be infused with Your Word. Your Word brings life, abundant life, Lord God, where we ail, where we are ill, where we are unwell, I ask that You would move Your Word into those parts of our body and cleanse us, purify us, set us free. I trust, Lord, that You can bring healing to these broken down bodies, that we might serve You to Your glory even one more day, even a little better Somehow, someway, by Your power, through Your Spirit, may we walk in the fullness of Your armor, which is Christ. Enable us, Lord. Empower us, Father. Help us to grasp that helmet of salvation that, that You give. That hope that we have, we possess. Help us to walk in it, Lord. Fearing You and You alone. 
that none other would stop us from being your people. We thank you that we're able to gather together in this building. We thank you for the relative comfort that we have here. We ask, Lord God, for your blessing on each one within the sound of my voice. And we pray in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.